Making assumptions about how life will be after a major disaster can be dangerous and lead to a lack of preparation. Let's look at common assumptions people have about societal collapse, survival, and rebuilding after an SHTF event. Hey, this is episode 805 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will get you prepped, save the day, and make you the hero to your loved ones. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Ready Your Future podcast. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with me. Todd Sepulveda, your host, and I will be reading an article today from The Organic Prepper, Daisy Luther over there and our favorite. She actually didn't write this one, but that's her website, theorganicprepper.com. And uh, this one is entitled Seven Assumptions About the SHTF. And I really like this article because, you know, in the preparedness community, <laughs> we we have people writing uh, articles out there. We have books out there. We have podcasts. We have videos. We have everybody out there. And they're all have these assumptions about how things are going to be. And the thing is, like, no one truly knows what things are going to be like. I, a lot of the times I refer back to collapses and civilizations that I have read about. And one of the things you hear a lot when people are looking at the uh, United States, they'll look at Rome, right? But even that, there's been, it's been such a long time since that has happened. There's been a lot of technology. There's been a lot of everything that has happened since then. And would things be completely uh, similar, you know, and there's just no way. And so I think, well, let me just say this. Let's go ahead and read the article. And I've got some things that I want to talk about on the, on the flip side of that. All right. So theorganicprepper.com, this article is entitled Seven Assumptions About the SHTF. Assumptions. We make them all the time, mostly unconscious, like the grocery store will be open, fully stocked of bread, milk, toilet paper, and our favorite ice cream. The gas station will be up and running to gas up our vehicles and maybe get a hot cup of coffee or a fat pill, which is a donut. Then there are other conscious assumptions we make about things like our retirement accounts doing well, plenty of money available for presents under the Christmas tree, or not having to resort to using a credit card to make the monthly bills. Some of our assumptions are made based on historical facts. Others are more recent events or experiences. Then we also have unconscious bias assumptions. When it comes to SHTF, I think we have some that are quite logical or common sense based. Others, well, I've read a few that are really out there, such as army-grown lab attack dogs trained to eat our children. Yeah, really. Based on several of Succo's articles and some other books on various topics, historical and recent events, are some assumptions I have made. Your mileage may vary. This is not a complete list, as I am sure I am forgetting more than a few. One thing I want to mention is that Organic Prepper commenter Backward Squirrel wrote, Just understand that what works in one area won't necessarily work in another. And I think that is a great comment and something to consider because even here in the United States, something that, or I mean, wherever you're listening to, and I know that I have listeners from all over the world, but something that happens in one state in the United States doesn't necessarily translate to another state in the United States. So in, in same thing, wherever you are, if you're in Europe, one thing, or Australia, wherever you might be, one thing that resonates in your area might not be the same kind of idea that, or the way that it goes down and the way that it works in, in, in another area. So going back to the article, um, back with Squirrel, he was refer referencing the difference between the Balkan War Selko went through to what SHTF could look like here in the U.S. There could be similarities and there could be differences between states, regions, or even towns. 
So here's the first assumption. From Taylor to Tina, or from Rule of Law to Thunderdome. How fast we go from Shake It Off to Thunderdome is an interesting assumption. I have read some who think it will be nearly instantaneous or overnight. Others say several days to weeks or somewhere in between. There are some more recent events we can look to as examples. Hurricane Katrina, the lawlessness some major cities are currently experiencing. So Selko noted more than a few times in his writing how by the time they realized that SHTF, it was too late. Where they were is where they were. From panic buying at the grocery store to outright looting. From civil normalcy to stabbing with, stabbings with no EMS or LEOs responding. It happened slowly, then suddenly. Rule of law broke down. As a society, we are only as good as the laws written and those who follow those laws. Once rule of law is gone, chaos and anarchy rule. It is only with the threat of punishment and, to a degree, the social contract that a society functions. When rule of law has broken down, those who would enforce those laws are just as helpless as the rest of us to the chaos and anarchy. In that case, I cannot blame law enforcement officers any more than I could anyone else. They are just as fearful for their lives and the lives of their families as everyone else. Another takeaway Selko mentions is the need for family or community. He notes it takes a group to maintain not only physical and security from invaders, but also mental security. Selko also mentions those who have the number and the firepower to control territory or parts of the black market. These could be in the form of gangs, warlords, or tribes. What we may see as, as a neighborhood now, when things are normal, may be the next tribe or gang, depending on how you look at it. So another assumption is, hey, who turned off the lights or when the grid is gone? This is one assumption most make and agree on. If our electrical grid were to go down for a prolonged period of time, weeks, months, or even longer, we would have some serious problems. Some think violence would be the biggest cause of death in an SHTF situation. Historically, and even to this day globally, sanitation issues have been some of the biggest causes of death. Grid down, the toilets do not flush, and nothing comes out of the tap. Selko wrote an article about water during the Balkan War, and I wrote about it with my experience in Afghanistan and my own water experiment. Other issues are heating, cooling, and cooking. Depending on your location and the time of year, all three present, present their own issues. Obviously, heating in the far north in the winter can be an issue for those who do not heat with wood. In the south, cooling is its own issue during the summer. Most people would be able to cope, although it may not be comfortable. In both cases, it is the very young and the very old would be the most vulnerable. Cooking over a wood fire is doable, but first you need wood for the fire. Then you need food. So grid down unless you have a generator. Your perishables in the fridge or freezer are only going to last a few days at most. Even then, you are dependent on the fuel supply. For those in the north, in the winter, nature is your freezer. <laughs> I've done that before. Then up is what is that smell or sanitation issues. So sanitation is, the, is one of the biggest causes of death globally, even to this day. Selko's article on the topic highlights exactly the issues that happen when the power goes out and the tap no longer flows and the toilet no longer flushes. I saw it happen in Afghanistan in the middle of a drought when a large number of people gathered around a single source of water and someone defecated in it. The result was a cholera outbreak. If it was not for a humanitarian aid effort of hydration solutions, salts, a lot of people would have died. In the comment section of that article, a number of people noted how the sewage system would back up if the power was out. Unable to flush, where would people defecate? 
As it has been noted, we Americans are sometimes of a lazy bunch. If you think San Fran is bad now, imagine lots of people just defecating in a bucket and tossing it out of a seven-story or larger apartment building. And no one is going to clean it up. It's not my job, right? In one of the comments someone mentioned in the past, there would be people who would collect waste buckets and dispose of them pre-modern sanitation methods. Who is going to volunteer for that job? And what are the rest of us going to pay them? Then there's, hey, where did everyone go? Or the mass die-off. In the comment section, the lone Canadian mentioned the EMP commission, and in the event of an EMP attack, an estimated 80 to 90 percent mass die-off could happen within four to six weeks. When I first read the estimation of a die-off, it was too surreal. Think about it. Go to a mall, a big box store, the grocery store, and count off eight or nine of Americans dead. The ninth or tenth is a survivor. Then I got to thinking of how dependent we are on our just-in-time, business-as-usual paradigm. I think that 80 or 90%, um, that number, I thought it was within the first year, but I might be mistaking that for something else. But anyway, um, definitely it would be pretty bad. All right. The system allows for maximum efficiency at a modest profit and lowest cost. Unfortunately, this system is highly dependent on everything working just right and highly dependent on readily available supply of cheap energy. Take the COVID shutdowns. A few meat packing plants closed due to work testing positive or workers testing positive for COVID, and suddenly we saw rising prices and empty shelves, buying limits. And it was just it wasn't just meats, it was pasta, flour, rice, yeast, toilet paper. The supply chain was in terrible condition and fast. The Lone Canadian also noted that at normal consumption rates, there are only three days of food on the grocery store shelves in any given city. Succo mentions how quickly people went from panic buying to looting. Once that supply is gone, where is the resupply? So again, imagine eight or nine out of 10 Americans dead. Some of these would be people who produce the food, people who process the food, people who transport the food, people who stock the shelves, and those who ring you out. The same people who also pump oil out of the ground, transport it to refineries, refine it, it is into a usable end product, and those who again transport that end product to your local gas station. Another part that few mention is the supply of RX drugs. There are a lot of people who are dependent on those drugs for everyday life with no natural herbal alternative. There, then there are other drugs that people may not be life dependent on, but need for just functioning. Antidepressants, anti-anxiety, antipsychotic, etc. How would they function? Then there are the illegal drugs. Do we assume the drug cartel would continue to ship drugs north of SHTF and if there is a mass die-off? Who would their customers be? We already know to what lengths illegal drug users will go to get their next fix. Imagine when there is no next fix. The next assumption is Times Square versus Mayberry or urban versus rural. So this is a debate that continues to rage. Some are of the opinion that urban areas will command the preponderance of supplies and rural areas will run out of food and other supplies first. COVID may have shown a degree of insight into supply chain issues. If we continue with the mass die-off assumption in four to six weeks, there could be some supply still within the urban areas, and there could be nothing left. Based on current trends, most Americans only have a week's worth of food on hand at any given time. COVID shutdowns did display the need for having a well-stocked pantry. Unfortunately, in our current inflationary environment, many Americans have gone through those stockpiles to make ends meet. As mentioned above, we are highly dependent on our just-in-time system in various degrees. Take out any one part and the end consumer is at a loss. However, those who are closest to local production have the least to lose. 
Soko notes how fast things went from normal to SHTF. By the time they realized it, it was too late. Where they were is where they were. So one commenter mentioned how he lives in a rural area not far from a sizable town. He also mentioned how he and his neighbors are ready and willing to set up armed roadblocks or even drop a bridge to keep those urbanites from coming into their areas. Something else that needs to be addressed is how many people could make a major migration from one area to another without some kind of modern logistical supply. How many people have the skills to actually live off the land while they hike it? How far could they range a day? In the early days of COVID, we read a number of articles about people from major metropolitan areas fleeing to their second homes in places like the Hamptons. The locals who live in the Hamptons year-round, generally referred as townies by those with their second homes, did not appreciate those fleeing to bring COVID with them or buying up supplies and groceries. Tensions were high. How do you think that would go if rule of law went out the window? Then there's this assumption. How much for a carton of eggs or trade and barter system? In one of Selko's articles, he mentions that precious metals in the form of jewelry actually went down in value as they did not have an immediate use. However, the organic prepper has noted the value of precious metals as a means to secure wealth in the long term and not necessarily for everyday trading. As Selko noted, the market drove the values of everything on any given week, food, antibiotics, alcohol, cigarettes, etc., during the Balkan War, there were supplies coming in from other countries in the form of UN convoys and US airdrops. Try to imagine a UN convoy getting even a few hundred miles into the interior of the US or an airdrop to Topeka, Kansas from the East Coast. Consider the UN's track record of success in previous endeavors not very good. Selko also mentioned skills. Some skills will have a higher value than others. One of the most commonly noted ones is medical and natural herbal remedies. After that, the ability to repair clothing or even make clothing from raw materials, shoes, weapons repairs. I would assume things like alcohol or tobacco production would also be high on the list of those that have a high value. People will still have their vices, even in SHTF. With the current situation in the Mideast, the Israel-Palestinian war, there's a very real possibility of unrest in the region, with some analysts suggesting passive-aggressive support for Palestinians of an, of an oil production cut more so than we have seen thus far, and even a possible oil embargo of pro-Israel countries. What does $300 a barrel of oil translate into the cost of gas at the pump? What would be the second and third order effects of such a jump in fuel prices? If you think inflation is bad now, consider that possibility. Even the availability of fuel at the local gas station has to be considered. Don't think it could happen? Recall the oil embargoes of the early 1970s? What about this assumption? The day after tomorrow or rebuilding society. What does rebuilding society even look like in a post-SHTF world in America? I have no idea. I can make some assumptions. Our illustrious elite emerge from their bunkers after years of ruling from afar while us unwashed masses have moved on and tell them to pound sand if they are lucky. From what I saw in Afghanistan, some will form up their own tribes around natural resources. Others will become something like what we now call warlords. And still others may become nomadic like tribes moving to follow game or the seasons like Native Americans did. Some may form wall towns or small cities with a symbiotic-like relationship with nearby farmers to support those within the walls. What will those societies look like? What about technology? A mix of old world with a smattering of things like solar panels to watch a movie or listen to Taylor or Tina? How would the world from the outside look at a fallen U.S.? Invade? Stay the hell away? 
So this past weekend, the wife and I went to a local diner for breakfast. As I sat drinking my coffee, enjoying the breakfast sandwich, I looked around at the people milling around. I asked my wife if World War III broke out, would this diner be able to stay open? Would people be able to come to it and pay for breakfast? We just might be enjoying a seemingly common outing that in a few days, weeks, or months may be an extreme luxury. As I write this, we are 90 seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock, with midnight representing nuclear annihilation, the closest it has ever been. And the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists have not even factored in the recent Hamas terrorist attacks in Israel and the events unfolding now. Now there is a possible World War III, not only in Eastern Europe with the Ukraine-Russian war, but also with war breaking out in the Middle East. If China were to take advantage of this situation, we would be looking at a possible third front, World War III. Things look a bit uncertain. With uncertainty, the unknown becomes fear. So here's a quote from Frank Herbert of Dune. I must not fear, quote, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain, end quote. We must keep calm and carry on. What are your thoughts? All right, guys, like I said, I think this is a, a good article with a lot of assumptions that we we just take, you know, we, you know, in the preparedness community, it's like, okay, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. One of the things I, you know, it, to be honest, I've changed a lot of my ideas over the years. You know, what if it wasn't anything, you know, like, like, uh, you know, either or, like what we're talking about here. What if it was just like, it, it, it was like, you think back to the COVID lockdowns, right? And how things were just kind of like. Uh, like, and meh, you know, like, eh, you know, just, this is life, right? This is like, we're kind of stuck at home. We go to the grocery store, we do our thing, we're working. Um, but you know, we're kind of stuck, right? And, uh, maybe you don't have a, a lot of extra money. Maybe, you know, that's the reason, right? You know, because of inflation, not a lot of extra money, but it's just kind of like this, um, you're just kind of like in this, this, this weird movie, where you're just kind of doing life and just living. Right. And I know as we got, you know, as, as, as the, the lockdowns kind of continued on, people started to like, no, I mean, you know, in different States started doing different things, but people were like, we're going out, you know, we're going to, going to, we're going to take a trip. We're going to go to the restaurant. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And things started opening up and people started, you know, doing things out there. But what if it got to a point where you couldn't do that for whatever reason it might be, you know, because, uh, again, maybe it was, it was financial and just the, the finances where people were just barely stri- scraping by. And it was kind of like, OK, we're not we're not going to drive the vehicle more than we have to because, you know, we, we got to fuel it up and fuel costs a lot of money. We're not going to eat, you know, and, and go out to eat because it costs a lot of money. And so we're going to go ahead and, and make stuff here at the house. And we're going to, you know, watch that very carefully. We're not going to go out and do fun things because we just have no extra money for that. And what if things were just kind of like that? And you were just kind of like eking by slowly, you know? And so that's kind of a, an idea that a lot of people don't really talk about. It's always kind of like this. You see, either like, oh my gosh, it's zombies, or you know, it's 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 good. One of the others. I want to end with this, right? I, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think that those that want to live the prepared life, I think we need to have one of our characteristics that we truly need to have, and one of the characteristics that we need to work on if we don't have it is flexibility. And I think that's going to be huge, huge, huge flexibility. And so a couple of things here. 
when you're flexible, you can embrace change a little bit easier. Now, no, there's times where we don't like change. There's times where we welcome change, definitely. But a lot of the times we don't like change because it is the unknown and we like things the way they are. But if we can be flexible to welcome change as a normal part of our life and just like, hey, change is going to come, right? And then we're, it's easier for us to stay open to the possibilities of what might happen. And it also is, you know, if you're fighting the change, if you're fighting, kicking and uh, screaming, you're going to have, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you might get there. You might be forced to change regardless, but you might get there late. Whether those that are a little bit more open to it can move faster and move quicker and absorb that change and actually grow and learn from it. So you got to be flexible to embrace the change. You got to be flexible to, uh, problem solve what is going on. And you need to have those problem solving skills. And part of that is looking at a situation and b- being able to see the situation, the bigger part, and then breaking it into smaller parts and thinking about uh, solutions that you can go along those along that route. I think that's a, a lot of the times people don't like the planning aspect of preparedness because you're taking this big O thing that you feel like you have to do. Okay, I've got a I've got to plan, plan this out. Where do I start? And that becomes overwhelming for a lot of people because they don't break it down into smaller pieces. So be flexible in developing your problem-solving skills. I think that's going to be important. I think we need to be flexible in learning from our experiences. So look back at the challenges that you have had in your life, and hopefully you have learn from them and you haven't been one of those you know people that has like okay I got to I got to experience this two three four times and and even at that there's some people like uh there there's a little girl who lived in our group home uh, and we we're connected with her on Facebook and she goes through relationships like you go through underwear and and you know it's like oh I I I love this guy and and I it just it drives me nuts and and she's already older I mean she's like you know probably in her 30s you know late 20s early 30s something or something somewhere around there but it's like she's always changing relationships and it's like learn from your experiences you got to you got to go to different places to meet people you can't keep meeting them in the in the same places and expect different results right and so let's learn from our experiences. So you got to be flexible with that and uh, think about how you handle things now and, you know, make that change to be able to handle them a little bit differently. And so like you are able to adjust to whatever that might come. And then lastly, we got to be flexible with our emotional intelligence and emotional in- intelligence means, or it's that ability to understand how you understand your emotions and understand what is happening in your emotions, right? Getting control of your emotions. So, okay, I'm, I'm angry right now. Okay. I should have enough emotional intelligence to know I probably shouldn't make a decision right now, or I probably shouldn't address this person right now because I'm angry. And the way that it's going to come out is going to come out wrong. So being able to have that that flexibility to understand yourself and have that emotional intelligence to be able to say, okay, you know what, uh, I really would just like to fire off on this person or whatever it might be, but I, I have enough, you know, I'm flexible enough to understand my emotions that that's not going to do any good, and that it would be better if I wait a little bit, you know, take a deep breath, wait 24 hours, and come back and revisit that. 
Well, a lot of assumptions in the preparedness community, we just need to make sure that um, you know we're ready for whatever might happen. Because again, like I said at the, at the beginning, we can look at civilizations that collapsed and just, you know, if, if our civilization collapses right now, you know, uh, completely, totally, then there's going to be a lot of pain, but it's probably not going to be the way that you think it might be. And so we need to be able to, and even if society doesn't collapse, I mean, let's not even go there, right? Let's just say things start changing in the fabric of where we are in, in the world and just whatever people's ideas and people's thoughts. And, and I do believe we're kind of there that there's, there's a lot of weirdness that, that is happening in the world right now and people's ideas of, of what is right and what is true. And I, I think we need to be, you know, smart and be paying attention to it. Uh, and be aware of what is happening so that we can adjust, right? And I'm not saying giving up your I, I, ideas or giving up the thing, your morals or your the things that are important to you, but I'm saying like being paying attention to what's out there. And so if society doesn't collapse or whatever, we still are going through a, a societal change right now. And we can see that um, if you're paying attention, which I think if you're probably listening to this podcast, you are paying attention. Well, guys, that's it for episode 805. Thanks so much for hanging out with me again on this one. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Proper Goodness. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.